that Canada has to put itself back out there as, as a trusted global supplier. That means having reliable infrastructure, having a competitive tax and regulatory regime, um, and ensuring that we have a strong uh, foreign affairs relationship with those trusted trading partners. Uh, so I, I do believe that there's incredible opportunity for agriculture as we get through this. And as Canadians and as our economy, we're going to be relying on agriculture to help us get through this. Hi everyone, and welcome to our second episode of Fireside Chats with Aaron. And I am your host, Aaron Garaluk. As Executive Director of the Grain Growers of Canada, I started this podcast to serve as a series of candid conversations with industry influencers and policymakers. And today we are very fortunate to have someone who is well-versed in federal policy and the challenges facing Canada's agriculture sector. I'm joined by John Barlow, MP for Foothills, a rural and largely agricultural riding in southwest Alberta. Mr. Barlow was first elected in 2014 and during his time in opposition has served as the conservative agriculture critic for the majority of that time and is well versed on the issues that we're going to discuss today. Mr. Barlow, thank you for stopping by for a fireside chat. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Our conversation today, I think, is very well timed, considering that only a few hours ago, the Prime Minister announced $252 million to support some agri-food sectors. When you break it down, it's obvious that it falls significantly short of what most sectors were calling for. Can you comment on today's announcement, and perhaps more broadly, when it comes to support for the, ag- for the agriculture sector during the pandemic, how would you describe this government's actions to date? I think uh, disappointing, Aaron, would be um, an understatement almost. And, uh, you know, the announcement today falls, as you said, very well short of what uh, industry was asking for. Um, you know, Canadian Federation of Agriculture had asked for for $2.6 billion. Um, this is obviously well short of that. Um, you know, I've heard many of our, our stakeholders kind of describe this as as watching the the farmhouse burn down and and offering a bottle of water to put it out. And and I think that's what is so frustrating when you see uh, the assistance strategies been uh, doled out to other sectors, um, but one of the most important sectors. And the prime minister has said it time and again that agriculture and food is an essential service. Uh, the security of our food supplies is essential, uh, but then none of the resources are provided to ensure that uh, the farmers and, and ranchers and producers are, are able to do their job. And that is ensuring there's food on our table, the grocery store shelves are well stocked, not only here at home, but certainly around the world. And I, and I think to that point, with respect to some of what the prime minister has previously said about the sector during today's announcement, um, and I quote, he said, We will be there for our agricultural producers because they are so important to all Canadians. The hard work they do and the support they give us all needs to be respected, reflected on, and mostly supported. In your view, is this government walking that talk? Absolutely not. And I, I don't think it starts uh, even right now with the, the pandemic, Aaron, is, you know, you look back over the last, uh, you know, several years, um, but even just this last year, let's take a look at uh, since uh, this fall, we had one of the most difficult harvests uh, we've had in our in our history, mm-hmm. uh, followed by a, a CN strike, then illegal blockades, then the implementation of a carbon tax. Uh, and, a, you know, many of these things were implemented by the Liberal government and others, they kind of just stood by and, and hoped that they would resolve themselves. And when I speak about the, the rail strike and the illegal blockades. So agriculture was coming into this pandemic on, you know, really shaky financial uh, standing as it was. And then you come through this 
at the worst possible time of the year as you are looking for your um, cash flow to deal with uh, your spring inputs, you know, fertilizer, fuel, seed, all of those things. And you really had a very a difficult year. Uh, so if, if the government really truly believes that agriculture is, is such a, a critical infrastructure, then where are you? And, and how can you come up, you know, months into this with such a small package, which I think many people would just uh, describe as, uh, as crumbs. And it, it feels like uh, the sector is being neglected right now. Governing is about choices. What do you make of the choices that this government has made in terms of um, where they've decided to direct support? And, and what can we do in your view to ensure that the challenges facing this sector um, become a priority? For government going forward, yeah, and I don't want to um, belittle what uh, financial assistance packages have been out there for you know focusing on small business and people who have lost their jobs. Those were important to do, and I don't think any Canadian would argue with that. Um, you know, we were trying to take a Team Canada approach to these things and and just offer suggestions and criticism and, and ideas. Uh, but there does come a point when uh, you have seen. Um, you know, for example, $9 billion handed out to students um, and then $250 million for an entire industry. Uh, that is really hard uh, for our producers uh, and processors to swallow is, is how do we, how do we end up so low on the financial totem pole here? And, uh, you know, our, our job now is, you know, lack of, I don't mean to be, you know, no pun intended, but get this up the chain to, um, under for Canadians to understand how important their their food supply is, and you know every single day we have asked Canadians to stay home, uh, you know protect yourselves, stay safe, stay healthy. Um, but at the same time, we're asking farmers, ranchers, processors to go to work every day uh, to do what they can to put food on our tables and make sure that there's food in the grocery stores. And they're putting themselves at risk, and they are doing their everything they possibly can to meet the needs of Canadians and, and ensure our food supply. Um, but they are not being recognized for the, the work that they are doing and the very difficult financial position they're finding themselves in right now. Uh, when you have Dr. Sylvain Charlebois um, article come out a couple of weeks ago, where we could potentially lose 15% of our farms in Canada as a result of this pandemic, if there's no government assistance, Canadians need to understand what that means to our food supply. Um, not only will we be lacking um, in many of these products that we, we will then have to import it. So we could be missing those things in the grocery store, but when they are there, they're going to be that much more expensive because we're having to import those things. And I know Canadians want to support Canadian agriculture. Uh, we talk about local food and the importance of, of uh, supporting our local producers. Well, then to do that, we need to ensure they survive this. Thank you. That's right. You did touch on, a, on an article that was written or, or in, in which Dr. Sylvain Charlebois was quoted. Um, he's the senior director for the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. And he stated that Ottawa should be lauded in many respects for, for helping um, many desperate sectors of our economy. But given how urban-centric the government currently is in Ottawa, he said, agriculture has been somewhat forgotten, um, saying that the worst is yet to come and farmers need help and they need it fast. I want to talk a little bit about um, an issue that Grain Growers of Canada has been working on, on, not in isolation, but certainly with our industry partners. In fact, I think it's one issue that has really brought the sector together. Um, and that is um, 
reform to business risk management programming, and in particular on agri-stability. I, I think this is the first time where you've really seen the sector um, really united or well aligned on one particular ask around, around agri-stability in particular. Um, we've been asking for reforms to business risk management now collectively as an industry, I think, um, certainly since um, the last federal, provincial, territorial agriculture ministers meeting in Quebec City last July. Mm-hmm. Um, just prior to that meeting, we were asking them to consider the removal of the reference margin limits and an increase from 70 to 85 percent. Um, you know, this was reduced um, perhaps at a time when farmers were less reliant on the program, when Canadian farms were were prospering. Those changes were made under the previous government. But we think that the challenges facing um, Canadian farmers today um, uh, warrant increasing that level of support from 70 to 85% again. What is your party's view on the increase to 85% um, with, with agri-stability? Yeah, I think we need uh, um, a real re- revamp or review of the business risk management programs. Um, you just look at the, the low number uh, in terms of subscriptions and, and those producers who are actually registering to be part of agri-stability. So I think that's that sends you know, a, a signal that it's not working. Uh, it's not bankable, it's not efficient. Um, so I, th- I think there desperate, des- desperately has to be a review. But, and I understand the push from uh, stakeholders on, on agri-stability, but agri-stability was never designed um, to address something like a pandemic that we are going through right now. Uh, and when we made the changes uh, previously to, for that reference margin back down to 70%, the idea of, of that was to make it flexible, that it could be moved you know, up or down depending on the landscape that was out there. And, and the landscape, as you're right, Aaron, has changed significantly since then. We have a carbon tax. We've lost more than $5 billion in foreign market access to our, for our producers. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all of these things that uh, have have played a role in the need to uh, review that reference margin. Um, so, uh, but I think it goes deeper than just um, agri-stability and agri-invest. I, I think we have to take a hard look at um, what these programs are, why producers aren't um, subscribing to them, because they need something that's timely, something that's bankable, something that they can rely on. And right now, you know, if we talk about uh, the pandemic, uh, for many producers, they may not see a, a check from agri-stability for a year or two down the road. That's that's too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need some response to this COVID-19 uh, pandemic immediately. Um, this is not something that we can hope that they'll they'll qualify for down the road. Yes, and to your point, there was a significant reduction in enrollment. Um, there has been for some time, but certainly after the changes were made and farmers thought that the, the support that was being offered through that program was less meaningful at 70% by comparison to where it was at 85%. So we did see a significant reduction there. It, it is shared between both the federal government and the provinces. There's a 60-40 split um, in terms of their contribution to the program. We have been calling on the federal government now in the absence of any commitments from the provinces to top up that program. What is your view on a federal top-up in the absence of a willingness on the part of the provinces to provide that additional funding? Yeah, I don't think there's any choice. Um, certainly right now, the provinces are, are in a dire financial position. Uh, they don't have the resources. And, and the agriculture ministers I've spoken with at the provincial level over the last few weeks, they just simply don't have the resources uh, to commit to their 40%. Uh, so I think if, if the federal government is genuinely looking at agri-stability, 
uh, this is a this is a program enhancement they are going to have to take up on their own. Uh, but that is a decision of, of the Liberal government. They are going to have to make that commitment. And it would be a strong statement to producers that yes, um, despite saying it over and over again that we have your backs, this would actually show um, that you do indeed have uh, agriculture as a priority. Thank you. Maybe shifting gears a little bit, um, maybe something a little closer to home for you. You're from High River, where a major beef processing plant um, was forced to shut down due to an outbreak of, of COVID and was slated to reopen this week. And I think to some to some extent, they, they were able to, to resume um, a low level of production on, on Monday. Yeah. Um, you know, well, I first want to acknowledge that the most important consideration in light of everything that's happening there in that community um, is to the extent possible um, limit um, community trans, uh, transmission in an effort to protect the workers and, of course, the residents. You know, something else that, that we think about with respect to closures like this is, is what impact are, are these interruptions going to have um, on the processing capacity in Alberta? And what are you hearing with respect to the impacts that this is having on ranchers and as it relates to our members um, on, on feed prices? Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, there's no question me being in High River, uh, the Cargill issue has been front of mind for the last few weeks, for sure. Uh, you know, thankfully, it, it reopened on Monday with uh, the kill, kill floor back up and running. Hopefully, fabrication will begin uh, tomorrow. And they are on two shifts, so they're very close to being back to full capacity. And, and we have to put, you know, Cargill into perspective. You know, that's almost 40% of the entire beef processing capacity in, in the entire country. So to lose Cargill uh, meat solutions for almost two weeks and then JBS and Brooks, which is, you know, another uh, 30% is, um, you know, that was down to barely one shift. So, you know, that's 4,500 head a day that are not going through Cargill that's backing up throughout the system. Um, so our, our ranchers, feedlot owners, feeders, you know, cow-calf guys were, were very, very nervous and anxious about how long this would last. And, and they still are. Um, you're right. We want to make sure the health and safety of the employees at Cargill is always front of mind. We want to ensure that the uh, precautions are in place so they feel comfortable and safe when they go to work. That's that's imperative. Um, but we also have to understand the um, the supply chain issue again and and the ripple effect of of shutting down Cargill has. And I know we always talk about the producers, but you're right. Uh, the grain producers are also reliant on and making making decisions right now on what they're going to plant. Um, so it, it, it has been a very nerve wracking time with Cargill closed. Okay. Thank you. I think an important and ongoing issue for farmers living in, in rural areas like High River and across the country is cell service and wireless internet mm -hmm. on their devices across the countryside. I, I know this is a challenging problem to solve, <laughs> um, but what sort of plans could we expect the conservatives to unveil to improve wireless access across some um, rural Canada? That's a great question. I think uh, we've really seen uh, the change in attitude when it comes to rural internet service, that this isn't a want or um, um, a luxury. This is a utility uh, that is essential to any Canadian. And I would think in, in uh, rural areas with agriculture specifically, nowhere is that more important. Um, when you look at the sophisticated technology that farmers are now using, uh, you know, GPS, precision agriculture, robotics, um, all of these things that they're, they're keeping track of, of their markets online, they're selling their products online. So if we want to have true economic development in our rural communities, having access to high-speed internet is essential. Uh, so your timing is good with that question, Aaron, as uh, we will be releasing uh, a very comprehensive plan 
uh, later today um, on a conservative platform or policy initiative to ensure that every Canadian, especially rural Canadians, have access to high-speed internet. Um, I think through this COVID pandemic, we have understood as we are doing many of these Zoom meetings, uh, you know, even in my riding, I'm, I border the southern uh, boundary of Calgary, but you can go 20 minutes outside of Calgary and have no access to high-speed internet. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Canadians would be very surprised by that, but that is a fact of life. Um, and we have to do everything we can to uh, change that. So our producers can remain competitive on the, uh, what is now a global market. Great. Well, we will look forward to seeing the details of that plan then. Maybe uh, in closing, last question for you, we'll leave things on a slightly more um, optimistic note as we look forward you know, we know that pandemic or not, consumers here in Canada and around the world need to eat. What should the government be doing, in your view, to support growth in our sector so that we are well positioned to help the Canadian economy recover from this recession? It's a great question, Erin. I'm really glad you asked it because I think um, there's no question we're going to be uh, in a very deep financial hole coming out of this pandemic. And I don't think we had any choice, um, as you said, from the beginning. Um, there were assistance packages that had to happen uh, to help uh, Canada, the Canadian economy. But as we come through this, we're going to be reliant on a few industries to help us get out of that. And there are very few that we know are reliable and uh, can help us do that. And agriculture is absolutely one of them. People may not be buying cars or, or buying you know new jackets, uh, you know, money's going to be tight, but they will have to be buying food. They will have to be feeding their families. Uh, so we know agriculture is something that we have to rely on. So to do that, we need to ensure it has the resources um, to be successful and is clicking on all cylinders. There are absolutely opportunities for agriculture coming through this, not only domestically, but around the world. I think our trade relationships are going to be very different globally. Um, we're going to be much more reliant on um, who our most trusted allies are. Uh, countries around the world are going to be very um, more, let's say, um, picky on, on who they're trading with and who they can rely on. Um, when we have countries like Kazakhstan, Russia, Vietnam, you know, pretty much closing their borders, that opens up market opportunities for Canadian producers who can now fill the void left by countries who have, who have for, all essential, for, for all intents and purposes, have closed their borders. So I think there are amazing opportunities for agriculture coming out of this. And we all talk about the Barton Report and, and how that is outlined as, as some potential for global markets. Um, but Canada has to put itself back out there as, as a trusted global supplier. That means having reliable infrastructure, having a competitive tax and regulatory regime, um, and ensuring that we have a strong uh, foreign affairs relationship with those trusted trading partners. Uh, so I, I do believe that there's incredible opportunity for agriculture as we get through this. And as Canadians and as our economy, we're going to be relying on agriculture to help us get through this. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Barlow. I really enjoyed our conversation today. I appreciate that you took the time to join us and to share some of your thoughts on these most pressing issues with our members and with farmers across the country. And thank you everyone for listening to the second episode of Fireside Chats with Aaron. We'll be back in two weeks time with another special guest. In the meantime, if you want to stay up to date with all things related to GGC, please follow us on Twitter at Grain Growers or on Instagram at Canada's Grain Growers. Until then.